All right, well, good morning. Uh, I'm Bland, I'm the lead pastor here. If you are, uh, you're new, you're just tuning in, or if, even if you're a regular, uh, I wanna welcome you. Um, you may have noticed we're, we're done a bit of a pared down service today, just uh, Pastor Mike leading us in, in worship. Um, we, we do that to give, to give a break to our volunteers who have served so much recently, starting back with like the intensity of Easter and set up, and then uh, the way we've been setting up at Ruggles uh, uh, Baptist last Sunday to, to have worship was, you know, it takes a lot of work, a lot of focus, a lot of intensity, and so we wanted to give everyone pretty much a, a day off today for, um, at least in here, we're always thankful for those that are volunteering in the booth, and so I want to give a shout out to them right now who are uh, running slides, running uh, the Zoom, running uh, the, the um, soundboard, uh, all of that. So, um, you know, you don't see them Sunday to Sunday, but uh, they are they're the ones that are kind of holding things together week to week, uh, and we are grateful for them. Uh, I did want to mention before we get to the message, the... Um, the, about Janie, uh, what Janie said about the, the summer uh, meals program that we did last summer. Uh, I was able to jump in on that a couple times, and I have to say it was so amazing. I, I was incredibly blessed, and um, I have committed to actually be to help uh, every week this summer, one, at least one day every week uh, this summer while, if I'm not out of town. Uh, and so I want to be there. I'm going to be there to, to help be a part of this. So I really want to encourage you to think about um, can you help? Can you help on a regular basis? Can your a lot of workplaces? We found this out uh, last summer that some workplaces will actually give you time off. Yes, hours off to go do community service projects. This doesn't count as your vacation. It's just time the way that they kind of give back to the community. So I would encourage you if you work for a company, check into that, and and they might say, yeah, you can take uh, two hours off every Friday you know, for a total of, you know, 10 hours. And so you could help for five weeks in a row there. Um, and they won't count again towards your vacation or your time off. Um, but then God may lay on your heart to, to take a little time off uh, vacation wise to be able to help. And so just want to encourage you to step in. This is a, this is a huge sign for us that we as a church have been asked by Brookline public schools to help serve in the community. Why? Because they know we have a heart to service. So now's the time for us to step up. And I'm not talking to you about uh, those of you that are doing everything. You're already serving in 27 different areas. You're like, sweet, I'll add that. No, um, <laughs> I would argue you don't need to add this. Uh, what I'm encouraging you is if you're not volunteering, you're not helping in some way with Sundays right now or running a community group, uh, then I wanna encourage you to consider stepping in to volunteer and help uh, with this. And let's make it a great success and great opportunity for us to, to, to spread the light of Christ in our community through service. Um, yeah, and so encourage you to do that. I don't know if you've ever seen something uh, close up uh, and and not realize the enormity of it. Uh, so you know you kind of you're maybe you you were um, you know driving somewhere and you saw a house and you kind of looked at the front. And you're like, oh, that's a nice house. And then you got by the side of it and you could see like the angle and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a monstrous house, right? Or you saw it at a distance, you got up close and all of a sudden it's you know you can kind of take it in really and, and get a sense of its size. Um, and, I, and I wanted to kind of give you, just to give you an example of that, um, you can look at this shot, it should be a shot on the screen here of a, of a mountain range, right? It's beautiful, it's a beautiful mountain range, um, but, but that's a zoomed in shot. If you zoom out, the picture is much more glorious. This is, if you're not aware, the Grand Tetons, Wyoming. It's one of the most beautiful uh, mountain ranges in uh, North America and 
have never been there, but I long to go there someday because it looks like that, right? Um, and, the, and the idea is that if we're, if we're so honed in on just a small part of something, we miss the grandeur of, of, of what's bigger, uh, of, of the whole thing. And what we're going to do today in this message is a little bit different because we've focused in on the life of David. And we're in this final message on the life of David um, in, in, in this series. Uh, and, and through this series, we've zoned in, we've zoomed in on David's life. We looked at, uh, at different incidents, different experiences, different things that happened throughout his life. Now we're going to zoom back. And what we're going to see is so glorious. We're going to see a thread that runs through scripture all the way to the end of time that is connected with King David. And so, um, you know, what I want us to, to see, King David was, was great. Uh, he served God's purpose in his time, um, but he was a broken man. Uh, his, his greatest achievement actually was not that he defeated Goliath. It wasn't that he was a, a good king and led uh, Israel into a period of peace and prosperity. It was actually that David was a forerunner and a picture, a tiny picture, like a, like a black and white photo of the Grand Tetons compared to actually being at the Grand Tetons of an ultimate king who would come. So David, David's life was meant to point to something greater. David's life was, and his role as a king was meant to point to a greater king. And that's what we're going to see today. This story actually backs up and starts in, in, in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham and, and led him uh, to, to the land of, um, uh, of Israel, the, 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 the land of Canaan at that point. And he promised him, he goes, I will give you this land, I will give you a people, this will be a nation, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And all of the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And at this point, Abraham had nothing. He had no, no property at that point. He didn't own the land. Uh, but God promised him. And at that point, you know, just a few generations later, Abraham's great-grandsons uh, and their families ended up in Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Canaan where they were living. And they ended up there for 400 years. And over that time, uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians enslaved these people, the Hebrew people. And, uh, and it was then that God brought Moses onto the scene as a deliverer. God hadn't forgotten his promise. Indeed, he was actually allowed this to happen because his fulfillment of his promise was going to be glorious and picture God redeeming a people for himself because they had gone into Egypt as, a, as dozens of people and they came out of Egypt as hundreds of thousands of people. And this people, God led through Moses out into the wilderness and then Moses's protege, Joshua, led them into the land. And these people now were in the land taking possession of the land that God had promised to Abraham. Uh, and it was a, it was you know uh, over generations they they fought uh, all these pagans people that were against them and they um, and they began to be corrupted by these people and so God uh, they they called for a king and God raised up Saul to be their king. Uh, and Samuel anointed him, but he wasn't the real king. He wasn't the, the king that God wanted him to be. So God raised up David, a man after his own heart, right? That's a, what we learned, that David was a man after God's own heart. And Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel. And like I said, he led in this period of uh, the highest period of prosperity and peace that Israel ever saw. But the fact is, David was a broken man. And in David's lifetime, God promised him, he said, one day your descendant will sit over the land, over, over my people. You, he will establish a kingdom that will never end. 
And we, we look at Solomon and we think, well, maybe that's him. Uh, but then Solomon is broken. And, and, and quickly after Solomon passes, his son Rehoboam, uh, it, it leads the kingdom into, into sin. And there is a brokenness between the northern kingdom and southern kingdom uh, that never mends itself. What's called through the rest of the Bible, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, was divided. And they even fought each other at points. And the kings were all corrupt and broken. And every, even best king was measured by King David. He, was, he, he followed things like David, but not quite like David. And there was always this promise. And the prophets showed up on the scene. And they said things about the David that was to come. Uh, one of the most famous passages we read around Christmas uh, is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the promise of the new and better David that would come. And all of the prophets, most of the prophets spoke directly about this. And so what happens is today, or what we're going to do today is we're going to see Jesus as this new and better David that takes up this mantle, but far greater than David could have ever imagined. This new and better David, this new and better king was not a, a, a human being, uh, a, merely a human being broken and, and, and subject to sin, but was God himself in human form, sinless and perfect as a perfect king, establishing a perfect everlasting kingdom. So we're going to see that today. And the call for us is to see this. God is weaving this story together. We're part of this story. We're in this story. God is weaving this story together. And he calls us to embrace it, to step into it, and then to leverage our lives, who we are, for this new and perfect King David. First, I want us to see in Matthew 1, the new and better David is God becoming one of us. The new and better David is God becoming one of us. Now, the Old Testament had gone offline for 400 years at this point. So no prophets uh, had spoken under the authoritative, inspired uh, Holy Spirit to, to write down scripture. So 400 years, a weird 400-year gap in history, the scripture doesn't speak to. And it is because God was getting ready to do something greater. In the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, the very beginning of the New Testament, the new covenant that God was establishing with his people, is the first verse says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So when David was, was uh, David's son Solomon stepped on the throne, they thought him, then his son, and maybe, and then bad kings, and then maybe a good king, like, is this the one? But no, Jesus is the new and better David that was established. And God was weaving this story together. And, and right here at the beginning of Matthew, as he rolls out the genealogy. Now, I, I know I used to read this, and I would be like, yeah, blah, 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 I was born to blah, 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 father, blah, 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 blah. Okay, verse 12. And, the depart- and then, okay, uh, yeah, verse 17. Generations of Abraham, David, 14 generations from David to the deportate. Deportation of Babylon, 14 generations from the generation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Woo, got through that. Thank you for letting me read, uh, you know, a history book briefly. But what Matthew was establishing here is that David, 
David was a pre-runner, forerunner of Jesus. That Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises God had given Abraham that had been given a little bit of a glimpse through David, but was being fulfilled perfectly through God himself come in human form. David, Matthew is saying, this is it. This is what's been promised for, for the history of God's people. This is the promised one. The king that would come and establish a kingdom. And in fact, 15 times through the book of Matthew, David is referred to almost always in reference to Jesus fulfilling it. In fact, nine of those times is Matthew saying, Jesus, the son of David, or uh, the blind man on the side of road crying out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, heal me. Matthew is setting Jesus up and showing him as the new and better David. They would come. In fact, in Luke, one of the uh, narratives, the narratives of Christ's birth, the angel announced, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, right? So he's saying in the city of David, established in the lineage of David is Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus would be born into a broken world as a humble baby, not as a, a baby in a palace, not, in, not as a, uh, the, the, the heir apparent to an earthly kingdom, but as a humble baby. The Roman gods of that time entered the world, came into the world, but they came into the world to, to mess with people, to have sex with women and to, to just mess with people, to use people for their entertainment. The gods of this world, the gods of other religions uh, never enter this world. They simply say, make your way to me, get your act together, follow these rules, follow these rituals, and I maybe will accept you. I maybe will allow you into uh, paradise or to become one with the universe or whatever that religion teaches. These gods are fickle and they've, they've established this, this code that you have to behave, obey and behave to, to, in order to enter their presence. Only the God of Christianity chose to enter humanity and say, not come to me in, in, in heaven, make your way to me, but I'm coming to you on earth. The new and better David didn't sit in a palace and demand we come to him, but came and said, I am with you. I am for you. This is a struggle that every, every one of us struggles to believe at times. Some of you are struggling right now to believe that, that, that God is actually for you, that Christ came for you, knowing you fully, that he came into this broken world knowing you. And many of you are disappointed in yourself and you wish you were stronger and you wish that, you know, that, that somehow you had things together like this person or whatever. And, and you feel like that's how Jesus must feel about you. But let me remind you of something. Satan in scripture is called the accuser, the accuser. And Jesus is called the advocate, our helper or friend. Now, you tell me what voice you're listening to that says you're a loser, You're not worthy. God is disappointed in you. You don't deserve his grace. You don't deserve his presence. You should be more like so-and-so. You tell me whose voice is saying that. Is that the accuser or is that Jesus? And some of you need to take those thoughts captive in your life right now, saying the one who entered this world as a humble baby already knew me. He came for me. 
he humbled himself and became like me in this human form. The new and better David came among us so we can, we can relate to him and he can relate to us. Secondly, the new and better David is making us citizens of a new kingdom. He's making us citizens of a new kingdom. Now, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. So you can turn over there. Actually, today, I'm just going to encourage you to have your Bible open and ready to move because I'm going to be flipping through passages. And I know you can look at it on the screen, but it is far, far better for you to look at it in your own copy of God's word than to look at it on the screen. We're putting it on the screen. I'll, I'll just say this as bluntly as I can for non-Christians. So if you consider yourself a non-Christian, I don't think you need to go try to find a Bible right now. But if you are a Christian, you should have your own Bible open looking at this um, because it, it, it has power for you. Uh, and, and, and you need to see it in your copy of God's word. Listen to what Paul did in tying this, this kingdom uh, that David ru- ruled to the kingdom Jesus is now ruling. Verse 22. And when he had removed him, that is Saul, God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his kingdom, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news. This is the gospel. This is the word gospeling or telling the gospel in the original language that God has promised what God had promised to his, the fathers that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second Psalm. So, so he's referring back now to Old Testament passages. Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. Again, quoting the Old Testament, the Psalms, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That's not to say David wasn't raised. It means that his body saw corruption. He has not been resurrected yet in the body. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, through this man's forgiveness of sins, for, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the good news. The good news in the, in the context of, of Isaiah <clears throat> and in this context is always of a new king. The good news was a, a heralded news of a, of a new king's reign. 
And we declare that good news. We have heard that good news. Jesus has come to establish as the rightful and true king in the line of David, an eternal kingdom that would never be defeated and would never end, full of justice and righteousness. And this new and better David uh, invites us into his kingdom to be citizens of his kingdom by forgiving our sins and freeing us from bondage to performing for God to get him to like us and approve us. He's freed us from that and brought us into his kingdom. But this new and better David doesn't keep his subjects at a distance. He's not a, in this kingdom, he's not a king sitting up high on a hill. He's a king that is with his people. He's a king that is for his people. He's a king who is in his people, always working, always shaping us. Right now, my family's uh, renovating a bathroom. Uh, and expanding it a bit. Uh, I have done, I'll be honest, and done a, a major home renovation project in my life, done minor stuff, a little little bit handy, but uh, this was this was a big deal. So we, you know, it's it's down to the studs right now. But but what we had to do is we started a demo a few weeks ago and uh, it was basically uh, in the bathroom, floor to ceiling tile, 1970 blue tile. And so, yes, on the ceiling, the ceiling tile was white though, uh, but the walls were blue, floor to ceiling. And the, and the floor was tiled. And we had to beat off and get every one of those tiles off of uh, the wall. And then behind that tile, there was, there was a concrete-like plaster that was, that was uh, lathered onto and, and, and placed onto a metal lath that covered the floor, the ceil- the walls, and the ceiling, not just in the bathroom, but in the other rooms as well as we expanded. Every last bit of that plaster had to be knocked off. Every bit of that, that metal lath had to be pulled out nail by nail. Uh, and it was a lot of work. It was an enormous amount of work. But it was the only way that we could expand and put a new bathroom in. It had to come down. It was the work necessary. And that is how God is at work in us as citizens of his kingdom. He is working in us. He is working so he can work through us. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At, At first, perhaps you understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You, you knew that these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. This is what the new and better David, King David, is doing. He doesn't stand out there and bark orders. He doesn't even stand out there and simply offer forgiveness and eternal life and citizenship in the kingdom. He comes to work in the hearts and lives of his citizens. He is for us. He is more for us than we are for ourselves. And he is working and and shaping and molding us. He's longing to do more in you right now than you are longing to see happen in your own life. 
Listen, there is zero natural drift towards this as citizens of the kingdom. We don't drift towards being better citizens. We drift away. We drift into the temptations of our culture. We drift into the immediate dopamine rushes of, an, of likes on Instagram or, or uh, uh, giving it to a moment of pleasure or a new experience or a series on Netflix. We tell ourselves, we'll get serious about this thing, about our citizenship next week or next month or next year. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to, I'll, you know, I'll read my Bible regularly someday. I'll, I'll pray regularly someday. I'll, I'll, I'll really serve regularly someday. I'll share the gospel with others regularly someday. That's far off. That's going to happen someday. In the meantime, I, I'm just kind of going to give into these things. That's the drift of our soul. But what the, the, the new and better David, King David, is doing in our hearts is wanting to shape us and mold us, and he's inviting us in for those that are willing to embrace it. You are either fighting what he's doing or you're fighting with him to do what he's doing. The new and better David came to offer us forgiveness and freedom and make us citizens of this new kingdom. But that does not mean to make us citizens who stay the same. He's a king who is ruling his kingdom, not simply out there, but in here, in your life. So the question is, are you following this new king? Thirdly here, I want us to see the new and better David calls us to make our lives count for what will matter in the end. He calls us as citizens of his kingdom to make our lives count for what matters in the end. So if you look at the previous point, you could shape it this way. It's what God, what God was doing in us, right? That the, the new citizens, what, the, what Christ is doing in us, the new and better David King, King David is doing in us. And then this last one is the idea of how our lives will matter in this world. At the end of his earthly ministry, the resurrected Jesus gathered his disciples. He's preparing to ascend into heaven and he gave what has been called the Great Commission. It's fundamentally impacted humanity on a global scale. That is a fact. Listen to what he said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This sure sounds like a king, doesn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see what Jesus did here? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm a king. Here is my marching orders for my kingdom. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them what it means to be a a fully devoted follower of mine. And I will be with you until the end. There is an end. This is the mission from then until the end. It is what we are to be about. It is how we leverage our lives. It is what matters. Not whether you're liked at your job, not whether you reach your dream job, not whether you find your soulmate, not whether you have kids, not whether you get to retire early or buy a new car or buy a home or have that trip to to, to Southeast Asia that you've longed for or any of those things. Those things are all secondary to this calling from our king. This is what it means to live for the king, to go and to tell others about him. If Jesus is that great, why do we have a problem telling other people about him? 
I would argue it's because we don't dwell on the greatness of Jesus enough. We, we're distracted. We get our, our focus on our career. We get our focus on, on entertainment. We get our focus on pleasure or comfort or experiences. And we don't see Jesus. We don't see Christ because the natural drift, the entire drift, we are in the middle of an ocean drifting away from Jesus, drifting away from this calling, drifting away from leveraging our lives for something that matters, that will matter in the end. Now, listen, all of these things become part of it. But you're a fool if you think those things are it. Those things are only a means to an end. My marriage to Teresa, as glorious as it is, as great as she is as my best friend, is for Jesus and his kingdom in this world. It's to be leveraged for that. One day I will die and she will die and we will no longer be married in the new kingdom. But what we do in this world for that kingdom will matter. The end of the book of Revelation, very last chapter, last few verses of the book of Revelation echoes this. Listen to what it says. Revelation 12, uh, 22, 12, Jesus saying, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who take advantage of grace, who take advantage of what Christ has called, who do not get bogged down in this world, who do not get bogged down with what is temporary, treating it as ultimate. They wash their robes from the filth of this world, from the, from the temporary, from sinful things. And live for what is ultimate. Outside of the gates are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So there's a kingdom and there's a kingdom, a great city that represents that kingdom. And no one who is, who is uh, unless they are a part of that kingdom, can enter those gates. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am, listen, I love this, very end of Revelation. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who's here say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Cue the music, right? This is the big groundswell of the soundtrack of, of the, the end of the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, right? It's, you know, the, the coronation of the king is happening. And we are invited to leverage our lives for that by making disciples, fully devoted followers of Jesus who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now listen, I know you're thinking, well, well, what about justice? What about serving the poor? What about meeting needs? What do fully devoted followers of Jesus do? Boston needs fully devoted followers of Jesus in every neighborhood. You know why? Because they are great neighbors. They love their neighbors. They practice hospitality. They serve the poor. They serve those in need. Ever while telling them of the king. We cannot get caught up with thinking that ultimately serving the poor is the kingdom, 
is the final kingdom because we can serve the poor and meet their earthly needs here and now, which is good. There is earthly needs we need to meet, but we meet them as citizens of the kingdom. Otherwise, we are just a humanitarian organization out there to relieve some some needs. No, we go because Christ came for us. We serve because Christ served for us. And ever while we tell the good news of the king that gave his life, that they could have eternal life as citizens of his kingdom. And the invitation is to anyone. Let anyone who's thirsty come. Anyone who wants to drink, come. This is the end of the book of Revelation. Back that up to the Great Commission. We stand between these two. Between Christ's great return, or between the, the, the Great Commission and the great return of our King. The question is, where, what are we doing right now? Are we leveraging our life for what he says matters? Listen, we can't change anyone's heart. I can't change your heart right now. I, all my job is to do is to deliver it. We deliver the good news of a new kingdom, the gospel of a new kingdom under a new king, and it is the king himself who changes hearts. But he has ordained that we are plan A and there is no plan B for this. So what do we do? I want to close with three simple suggestions. One, you got to own it. You got to own this mission, this calling of the great king for his kingdom's sake. You can't expect someone else to do it. You can't look at me and and put the burden of what you're supposed to be doing on me or Mike or any of the staff or the elders or your CG leaders or someone else in the church. You have a job to do. God knows you. Jesus sees you. You are a citizen of his kingdom. He has invited you in. He is at work in you and he wants to work through you. So you have to own it. I think many of us, Not all of us. Many of us are struggling right now because we are so focused in on ourselves instead of understanding what he has called us to do in this world. It is it is the freedom, Keller talks about this, the freedom of self-forgetfulness when we are caught up in something else with other people. And this is what we're to be caught up in. Serving. You are God's plan to reach Brookline and Boston with the good news of the kingdom. We don't have to do it all by ourselves, but you are a part of it and you have to own it. And I would say one of the best things you could do, ask yourself this question when you're alone with God, is am I making disciples? Am I helping develop fully devoted followers of Jesus? Because if you're not, whatever else you may be doing you are missing. It is secondary. It is temporary. Secondly, pray. So own it, pray. Pray regularly, consistently in faith for your friends and for your family. I was trying to get the Hoosier One uh, app and, and reminder prayer guide uh, reestablished, but we're, uh, they're, they're changing some texting uh, laws. So we, can't, we have to create a whole new phone number and do some different things. But we're going to start that back soon. Regular reminders to pray for our one person. Listen, I, I had the amazing news from a guy I was in seminary with. He just found out or just helped his 79-year-old mother become a Christian. 
he became a Christian in junior high and he began to pray for her. Decades, decades he prayed for his mother and she has come to faith. Don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to pray. Do not, do not turn them over to Satan. Do not turn them over and release them from the kingdom of God and the grip of it. The kingdom of God. Listen, I believe God lays people on our heart to pray for because God is moving and at work in those people and he has a plan and a purpose. And if we let go, we are turning them over. No, God wants us to intercede. God wants us to pray. The lie Satan whispers at you is your prayer doesn't matter. But that's not what God has said. And that's not what, what, what prayer reveals, the faithfulness of prayer. So own it, pray, and then act. Not next week, not next month. Before you go to work tomorrow morning, before you get up and go, before you go to work, so maybe it is in the morning tomorrow, get alone with God for 15 minutes and ask him a simple question. How do you want me to make disciples? How do you want me as a citizen of your kingdom to declare the good news of your kingdom and help those who are embracing it grow and become fully devoted followers? How? Ask him. He will not hide that from you. He will show you. He will direct your mind and your heart to someone at work. He will direct your heart and mind to someone that you know, someone around you, some neighbor, some friend, and he will say, go and be bold. Go, begin. So act, act individually, but also act with your community group. I know this is COVID. I know our groups are just beginning to meet together again, some indoors a little bit, some outside. The weather's getting better. There is no reason your group can't meet and invites non-Christian neighbors and friends over. Like don't have a party of 200 people, but, but you can all can invite one. You can all meet at a park. You can all hang out. Begin to be on mission together as a group. Share who you are praying for with your group this week. Share that God laid my, my, my best friend on my heart and, and I'm praying for them. Or God's laid this coworker on my heart. Ask your group to pray with you for them and you pray for theirs. And then as a church, listen, we have had the priority of mission since day one. We have had the priority of making Christ known. City on a Hill Church existed. I was called here, not because I, I, I somehow had the ability to do that myself, but because God wanted a church here. And he led me and I stepped into it. There's a church here because of the mission. And God wants us to be further on mission. We are giving generously right now around the globe. We support the largest missions agency that is focused on the uh, unreached people groups in the world today. 3,500 missionaries are part, full-time missionaries are part of the International Mission Board, plus tens of thousands of, of short-term uh, and uh, other missionaries. Go and share the gospel. This isn't, uh, this isn't twisting people's arms. This isn't uh, somehow withholding food from people until they become Christians. It is no serving needs and sharing the king. And it's happening. And it's, God is moving around the world today. But the question is not ultimately for us. Will he move around the world? Will he move uh, in our city? It's will he move through me? Jesus is the new and better King David. And as part of his kingdom, he wants you to live for him as a citizen. 
in helping declare the good news of this kingdom to those he's put around you. If you don't do that, who will do that for them? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for David. As you said in Acts 13, David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, died. I pray that we would each own that. We would serve the purposes of our king in this generation. That we would not define our lives by what we can get, by what we can have, by what we can achieve or, or put around us or relationships that we could have, but define it as citizens of your kingdom. Would we serve your purposes for your glory, for our joy? And God, for today, there might be one who's watching right now who has that thirst, that longing, that hunger, and you are inviting them today to fully embrace to receive the, the, the water of life without cost. So we pray, I pray right now, God, that they would pause, they would confess their sin and rebellion to you, and they would look to Jesus as their king, as their savior, as their Lord, and their lives would never be the same. In your name we pray, amen.